You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad and the Irish um, have been in the Ottawa area for hundreds of years and we're all quite familiar with the Rideau Canal and the building of the Rideau Canal and even prior to that um, there were Irish coming across into Newfoundland, into Canada, fishing in the, in the 1500s, 1600s. But as they migrated through coming in from Grosseil particularly, or even in the 1820s, building the canal, um, many, many died in Ottawa, uh, particularly from disease and also from accidents that occurred with explosives. And initially, as Ottawa was developing, uh, when the Irish died, they were being buried in Barracks Hill as the original cemetery and we're going to hear about a bit about today about the history of the Irish the uh, how the burial of many Irish um, where it happened who they were and some of their history and I'm with Nick McCarthy who is at Beechwood Cemetery and he is a good strong Irish roots with a name like McCarthy Nick thanks a million first of all for taking the time and bringing us on a tour of Irish history in Ottawa and uh, a tour of how that relates and ties into Beechwood and where people can find places of interest here. Well, we're definitely we're going to do this. It's sort of it's an interesting place because we were founded in 1873 um, as a requirement of the city to sort of push the cemeteries out but our legacy as you said really starts at Barracks Hill so when we look at Ottawa we think of Ottawa as a sort of um, up-and-coming town at the time it was a lumber town so there's a lot of French Canadians a lot of Irish a lot of workers and there's the upper the upper class that was sort of working and managing all these businesses but uh, Barracks Hill which is roughly where Parliament was was actually the barracks that was meant to to protect the end of the canal. So um, once the city no longer needed that, they decided that the cemetery should be pushed out because of fear of cholera, like you said, fear of disease, fear of just having a cemetery within the local towns. Um, so you've got Cork Town on one side and you've got Bytown on the other, really, right, when you're talking about the French versus the Irish. Um, I shouldn't say, really say... <laughs> well, versus in the sense of just the different... Because the Scottish also were very yeah. much a part of the, the um, construction. Yeah. Um, but um, so yeah, in Corktown we have to would be remiss not to mention it. And over time, of course, the Irish were very much settled in Lower Town. Exactly, exactly. And um, what is Sandy Hill now? Yeah. Specifically, but so when you're talking about that, right? So they, the, the city decrees in 1845 that they have to close down Barracks Hill. So they put out a notice like you would for any cemetery and say, it's time to pick up your dead. And a lot of the families, as you could imagine at the time, were either um, completely gone from disease, they were poor, they had immigrated further on, or either gone back to Ireland, gone to Montreal, gone to the East Coast. So it's quite a different experience. So when the notice goes out, the families that could afford it um, all moved to Sandy Hill Cemetery, which is uh, McDonald Besser Park. So it's that park with the giant gazebo on top of uh, a mound. Okay. That mound is a funeral mound. Well, hold on now. When, when the city send out a notice and say, come pick up your dead, um, I can't imagine you're, you're sitting at home and this either, hear ye, hear ye, be it, uh, be it known that the, the town crier comes around and that you better remove the bodies from Barracks Hill by such and such a yeah. date. Um, they're rather, 
rather unusual type of request to come from the city. Well, I, uh, um, I suppose so, but um, as you'll see, with Sandy Hill Cemetery closing down in 1872, it's definitely something that's done at the time. And it was the idea was to push it out of the city, and uh, even though Beechwood, you can see Parliament, and where we're sitting, uh, once we're a little further beyond the tree line, we'll be able to see Parliament, which also has great Irish connections from the, the people who uh, built it with their hands to some of the architects, and some of them are actually buried here at Beechwood. But when you're, you're thinking about it, right, they would have moved the people um, or had the cemetery providers move the people to new locations. So these people were moved to Sandy Hill, and of course, in that fashion, you had the Catholics, the Methodists, the Anglicans, and the Protestants all in rows, all segregated. Uh, but also what I find interesting in this... Well, that's, that's the rub, right? A lot of it was the families who could afford it were able to reinter, but the families that couldn't, the city just built above. And left the... Okay, so we flash forward to modern times, Ottawa, a modern um, G7, GA capital, <laughs> and we're digging our LRT, which again, we had an LRT in the 1900s, brought to you by another um, son of an Irishman called Ahern. Uh, which we'll discuss a little later. Um, so they dig up, the, the city itself digs, uh, finds Barracks Hill, they do an archaeological dig, and they find bones. And we, uh, as a city, built above graveyards, and there's a few different areas of Barracks Hill that we built above. And so for about 150 years, you have this building and this constant community building above and beyond this graveyard and these people underneath our feet. And these are the people that would have built our community. Right. These are right. the original, original ones. Right. So in, in 2017, the city um, decides to reinter them here at Beechwood. And we've always been uh, a great partner of the city uh, since 1873 when we uh, reinterred them in Sandy Hill Cemetery. But um, so we had uh, an 18th century uh, funeral horse-drawn hers, glass, glass surrounding uh, the casket. It was quite a, quite a moment because the different um, religious communities came out and you had the Protestants, the Anglicans, and the Presbyterians, and they all uh, read from the same prayer book, which would have been the same prayer book at the time. Right. And so um, that's where really the history of Beechwood starts, right? And whenever you come into a, cem a cemetery of our age, you're always going to see sort of um, a lot of Irish names, and especially in Canada, especially in Ottawa, you're going to see the, the good old Cel Celtic crosses. But we'll go around and sort of talk about... So the good McCarthy name, um, so we're uh, East Coast Irish, right. so we, uh, we're from uh, the Naples Valley. Um, I'm born and raised here in Ottawa, uh, like any good Ottawa, I'm half French-Canadian, half Irish, uh, <laughs> which makes me an interesting mix, but um, yeah, so we, uh, we originate from County Cork a few generations back, and um, yeah, that's our, our family. We, we fought for the armies and we were soldiers most of our lives. And despite the, how long it's been, how many generations do you know when, how far back? So some of the family was about two or three generations and some go a little further back. Right. We have family members who helped build uh, Citadel Hill in okay. Halifax. Right. So um, I think because we were soldiers, you can't really pinpoint the no, actual time. I think what I'm trying to, to highlight here is that how strong 
the heritage is for you and how strong oh, the link is yeah. that despite the fact that it's three, four, five generations that it's very much a part of who you oh, are. Oh, it is, it is a part of our, our culture. Like my wife, um, she's uh, second generation from uh, her mom's from Northern Ireland. Her dad is, uh, her dad's family is um, Irish through Iowa from um, pre-war. So it's uh, we do have a strong lineage, and our girls are Irish. Like we have a girl called Quinn, okay. so we can't get more than that. Um, but uh, we we definitely have that heritage and that sort of the passion to sort of share with the traditional culture, to share uh, the music that we grew up with. Right. And growing up, we always had a lot of Irish music playing in the house, and uh, stereotypical lambs do. Uh, um, Guinness stew, corned beef and cabbage, which is the great staple of North American Irish. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but uh, soda bread, my wife's uh, soda bread recipe is as old as old can be. Right. And right. we we teach the girls the importance of it, and sort of it's again it's that food that relationship, not only just the pub, but the food to the relationship to that specific type of food. So we're going to head out and um, tour through Beachwood, and as we do, we'll stop at various points and. Um, uh, get a little bit of the background from there. So Nick, we're arriving at point one here and where are we in the cemetery and what are we seeing? So um, we're right beside the National Military Cemetery, the Veterans Section. Um, but what, what I want to stop is because we're talking about sort of Ottawa history, right? So a lot of people don't realize that uh, William Pittman Lett, right, he was a son of um, Irish soldiers who uh, landed in North America. Um, he was just a baby when they came, and the idea was that they were here um, as part of Barracksville, as part of a, a group to sort of um, keep the Dominion strong. Uh, but he quickly became a person who advocated that Ottawa become the national capital. So he ends up uh, not becoming a soldier, but becoming a person of business and um, really sort of uh, being... He became a radical journalist with the anti-Catholic Orange cause, a pioneer in that sense of uh, theater in Bytown. But um, when uh, when he had the chance, he lobbied Queen Victoria to designate. Um, well, at first he wanted Ottawa to be the capital of Ontario, okay, um, or Upper Canada at that period. Um, but uh, he did get his way, and he ended up having it. Uh, be named uh, capital for the Dominion of Canada. And he witnessed, of course, at this time, he witnessed both the building of the Rideau Canal, the evolution of our infrastructure from um, just a, a basic construction headquarters to a modern and uh, well, modern at the period city, right? His name would not be that prominent in the Irish community as being. No, uh, well, because he's, um, it, well, it all, it all depends on what side of the Irish community Well, I do right? say, given that, you know, one of the things, the great things about um, maybe not at that time, but certainly in this day and age, is that when people arrive in their new country, an awful lot of the uh, attitudinal divisions that were behind are left behind. Mm -hmm. um, so in many cases, much of the history, like whether it be Colonel, uh, the um, uh, Sparks or, or many of the others, that oh, their heritage isn't something that is focused on in that sense. Well, no, because, uh, yeah, I guess when they're coming to a, a new country, it's sort of become that, that Canadian. Mm -hmm. But you have this gentleman, Lett, right? He was friends with MacDonald, or right. uh, Prime Minister MacDonald. Yeah, should probably use the proper titles, right? Um, and so in that sense, um, the Irish weren't seen as sort of that influential at that period. Mm -hmm. So it's like you want to be seen more as, as the British, more as the, the UK in that sense, in the larger sense. But what makes Lett sort of really, really interesting, though, is um, he suffered a terrible loss really early on in a railway accident. So we talk about light rail in Canada, and sort of I think this is the tie-in throughout our entire conversation today, is the fact that Ottawa had light rail. 
in the early had rail and he um, had rail that actually brought people to their homes and um, he lost his wife she was uh, hit by a train and it sort of changed everything and he kind of sort of ended up going into seclusion and I think that's why you don't know about him because right. the last 10 years of his life he's, he's by himself now when you say that life rail um, that was how extensive or do you know how, any idea? So, um, so Thomas Ahern which is another one of our um, why don't we go there now? Okay um, and uh, as you said where we are now at the moment we're just close to the national military yes um, so for somebody to come in here and if they try to find a grave um, is it easy? So, so the easiest way to do it is um, just to come to our front desk um, our reception, uh, they field about 10,000 genealogical requests or location requests a year. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're just a few of them. They'll give you a map. And if you can't find it within the first go, they'll take you out. Okay. Okay. But um, it's pretty easy. Everything's mapped out. And depending on the age of the, the, uh, the section that you're looking at, you'll see the names are very prominent. Um, let's, um, let's in a section where we've got a big, to um, a big uh, tree sculpture uh, that we did for uh, Canada 150. Right. So right. Um, it's quite fitting, actually, with that correlation. Okay, so we're moving on, and uh, we're going to pick up the story a little down the path. So we'll so Nick, we just pulled up in front of um, Thomas Ahern and uh, close by Nicholas Flood Davin. Tell us about Thomas so, Ahern. So we'll start with the sort of the sort of had a light rail system. Yes. It just we buried it <laughs> along with a lot of things in our history. But so Ahern was uh, was originally um, he was the son of Irish blacksmiths and they were maintenance crews of course on the uh, the canal. And he quickly became uh, he decided that he didn't want to work that hard or even work harder than that. He became a telegraph officer for the House of Commons sending the decisions through wire, right? So okay. people could really understand. But with that he kind of learned about uh, telephone and he founded the first telephone company one of the first telephone companies and he became a manager of that, that local telephone company. So he ends up um, starting an electricity firm with uh, this gentleman called Soffer, and um, he was the manager of the rival telephone company. So again, we're talking about early consolidation of sort of technology. And he eventually, they make their money, they become, um, they help equip the Canadian Pacific Railroad, right. so from one ocean to another. So these are really, really powerful people at the time. He, um, he then decides that, well, he should invest in not only the first light bulbs and the first lamp streets in Ottawa, but actually build uh, transportation. So we're talking 1891, and we're talking about how hard it is to build uh, our light rail here in Ottawa. Well, not even that, when, if you think 1891, and we now have a problem this year with the amount of potholes because of the weather that we yeah. have, that the conditions of the infrastructure would have been pretty 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 basic well yeah but so he uh, the first he actually um, had the first streetcar service and of course uh, just then like we are now we we're concerned with winter yeah. and he he figured out that if he put large rotating rotating brushes in front of his streetcars they could run uh, throughout the winter okay. and a little furnace within the, the streetcars so again we look at these sort of simple solutions yeah. uh, back then that they figured out that we um, no disrespect to our city but still seem to have trouble uh, dealing with. 
But um, yeah, so his, he actually had a company that would build these streetcars, and so he's known as being the first millionaire. He became a, a Bank of Canada uh, director, local philanthropist, helped establish the um, Ottawa Improvement Commission, okay. which later became the NCC. Right. So when you're looking at sort of um, how the Irish quickly came to Ottawa and really became players, Ahern is probably your, one of your champions. You've got other people like Workman, who was an early mayor and who quickly rose through the ranks, but I think Ahern, he was one of the first millionaires, like I said. Um, he was one of the first people to own a, a car in the city. So he, he's this really just prominent figure, and again, um, not very well known. Exactly. So I think that's what we, we, we're trying to do here at Beachwood through um, the different things we do. And this is our, our uh, honestly, it's our first Irish-specific tour because they're so, the Irish are so integrated into Beachwood that we've never actually pulled them out on their own, right. which I'm really happy that you've asked me to do that. And, and as a, an Irishman, it's always a thrill to be able to talk about right. um, our, our own. Even as I look around, I'm looking at a name there, the, uh, Garvin, which is very much an Irish name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's lots here that... Uh, while they they have contributors to the history, um, their contribution is not probably even documented. Yeah, not yeah, exactly. And like Workman behind us would have yeah. been one of the early mayors. So just to sort of situate where we are, we're behind our mausoleum. So Beechwood has a 1920s mausoleum. And so once the uh, the workers of the Parliament, the Masons, were done building the Parliament, they came to build part of them. Some of them would have been the the actual builders, sculptures, Masons of our 1920s mausoleum. Okay. And um, it was uh, it was done to sort of emulate part. So why wouldn't you use, after the Great Fire, the same masons who rebuilt Parliament? So um, our mausoleum, 1920s, Gothic-style, Baroque, um, it cost a million dollars at the time, and it took ten years to build. Bankrupted the company that built it. So this, this wonderful little company called the Canadian uh, Mausoleum Company only built two of them, and Beachwood has one of the, the remainders. But this, this connection to Parliament, where you have the workers who came here, the workers who are buried here, you have the members, a lot of members of Parliament, um, Irish and not, who are also mm. buried here, as well as um, people like mm. Nicholas Flood Davin. Yeah, and born in Kilfinan, exa- in Limerick. Uh, exactly. 1843. And so Nicholas Fladavin, um, he's kind of an interesting figure. Depending on your, your community background, you either, um, he's very interesting or you loathe him, right? And I say that in the most um, heartfelt way possible. Uh, so Fladavin... There's some prominent politicians in the U.S. are a bit like that at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and we don't claim that they're... <laughs> Well, just not just not just uh, that you either love them or hate them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we we've disavowed a few, but uh, so Dem- uh, Nicholas Davin, he was a journalist. Um, he became really really well known. Um, he was started out actually at the Belfast Time, and then uh, eventually he was uh, fired from it for allegedly being too drunk. Okay. Um, so it's uh, an interesting, interesting man. So then he, he immigrated to Canada and became um, part of the Gazette and then ended up working in the Globe in Toronto. So it's, it's one of those really um, original people. He then uh, founded and edited the Regina Leader, which is, I think, still kicking around now. Right. Um, he, he disguised himself as a priest so he could talk to Riel before the execution. So you have this gentleman who's really sort of out there and really trying to push the boundaries of early journalism. 
right. and you can imagine him as a priest sneaking into the jail and sort of saying, well, I'm giving him his last rites, and then pulling out a notepad and sort of trying to fill, get as much information from Riel as possible. <laughs> but uh, so he gets elected um, in Winnipeg as a member of, um, of um, a Sabonia West, and he actually, this is in the sort of the early 1900s, he actually um, started lobbying for the women's right to vote. Okay. And so if you think about the suffragette movement at the time and then how early he was. Right. But like anybody, um, it's quite, it's even more interesting. So he was asked by, um, of course, Sir John A. Macdonald, uh, Prime Minister at the time, to do a, um, a review and write a report about uh, Indian residential schools. So he's the gentleman who ended up writing the report that created it based on the mechanized uh, school system in the United States. So they toured around and they were trying to find, at the time, what they considered best practices. We all know what happened um, generations later, mm-hmm. the suffering, the abuse, uh, the abuse at the hands of the church, the abuse at the hands of the government, and this is a problem that is intergenerational. But um, what makes him very, very interesting as somebody who created an institution that removed children from um, from their parents is um, he married a woman and they had a child and for some undisclosed reason they gave her or they gave the child up and so they put the the children up for ado- adoption and about uh, several years later the children came back and sort of said we're your children and he rejected them and so you have this gentleman who did this sort of mm-hmm. trauma, or this mm-hmm. multi-generational doing the same thing to his own children. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he died rather young. He did. He did, but he died. Um, so of course he had depression, and so he died from um, suicide. Right. So, but what's again? He's just a fascinating man. Um, his first, he he goes to shoot himself. He buys his gun, shoots himself. The gun doesn't go off. So most people would have that moment of clarity where it's like it's time to sort of move on, right? Maybe God or maybe uh, whomever that's I'm hoping for is telling me I should. Said the, said the ultimate failure. But, 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 but no, uh, he grabbed his receipt at the time, went back to the hardware store, bought a new one, and shot himself. But again, he misses all vital organs and eventually takes days to die. Yeah. And so it's this really tragic death. And we, when you look at his um, his monument, normally, um, sort of later on in the year, the indigenous community is going to come and they're going to put flowers. Okay. And so normally there are large pots of flowers. Um, his monument is steps. It's it's um, it's a it's a bust of him that's uh, copper and it rusts. And in the rain, it looks like he's crying. So why do the indigenous community? As a symbol of reconciliation, okay. they come and do it. So Beechwood, again, is this, uh, we have um, a lot of different figures who were uh, proponents of the residential school or really against it. And he was the one that helped found uh, the system. And then we have Dr. Peter Bryce, um, not Irish, but who was opposed to it. But um, we'll, we'll move on to sort of one of the great uh, enduring dynasties, uh, the Herdman brothers, right? So, again, still kind of talking about our LRT system. Yeah, we're familiar with Herdman Station. Yeah, it's still talking. Never, <laughs> I never had an association or would consider it had an Irish association. Yeah, no, but they were originally from Ireland. Um, they actually joined Philemon Wright. So Alonzo Wright's family. So Alonzo okay. Wright was one of the early pioneers of... Um, of uh, black and white cinema and um, of like the Charlie Chaplin era okay. who worked yeah. with uh, Marx but um, so they, they came to the, the Hall settlement and they left uh, they left his farm and they started their own farm and they really started sort of building but the Herman brothers were smart enough to start uh, a lumber business and this is 1841 this is like 
really one of the first lumber business and they became the largest timber operation so you can think from sort of farm hands in 1818 to lumber barons by 18 let's say 1841 and do we know where they came from? Uh, no, our um, they just um, list themselves as, as Ireland. Okay. Ireland. Yeah, so we don't know what part. No, but um, and I, I suspect the name probably changed slightly. Yeah. In immigration, right? They either dropped the O or um, well, well, it, it may end. have been that they, they may have had an Irish form that was anglicized into a hard or something. Exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, so what they were they were really known for is lumber, but they they built the the bridge across the Rideau River. Um, they um, they helped with uh, not only the Great Fires at Shijiao, but um, they uh, were able to really focus on um, establishing actual farming industry in Ottawa, from uh, pig farms to um, things to feed the railroad workers to um, helping out with the German immigrants. Um, they also built what is now the site of the Ottawa Rail Terminal, so the downtown, the big conference center. Oh. So what's coming across very strongly, though, is that <coughs> at a few levels, while the, the canal was being built, Ottawa was a very vibrant place. Um, it was certainly a hub, while it may have not been what Toronto or Montreal was, but it was a bustling place, and the lumber industry certainly seemed to have been the, the sustaining factor. Well, it, it also sort of seems, right, because you have all the industries in Montreal and Toronto that mm. were really long established. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense of opportunity, right? You read about uh, and you talk about sort of these early Irish families, and at the time they would have um, survived the famine or come before the famine, and quickly they're able to sort of insert themselves in society in Ottawa and really develop who they are mm -hmm. and become barons. And, and I suppose while on one level it's relatively recent and I say that in the context of Ireland having a history that's going back to two, three thousand years, years before Christ, it's still, it's, it's an extensive long history in many other ways here. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget about that um, a lot of the times, and I think just people tend to forget about um, how quickly. Um, if we go into another section, uh, mm -hmm. we can talk about, there's a few interesting stories, and there's even sort of connections where with modern social media, you're able to sort of help people retrace. And we're going to go, um, actually, let's talk about Irish military history at Beechwood, okay. and one specific gentleman, and uh, we'll go visit him. Um, so Nick, we've moved around and we're now uh, in a, an area and we have Hemlock uh, on our left, so we're probably close to the junction of San Mara Hemlock. Yeah, so Beechwood um, is 160 acres, so we have well, we were covering a lot of ground. So you and I are sort of touring around in a golf cart. But what I why the reason we want to stop here is um, sometimes you'll notice sort of these oddities in cemeteries of our age, and you have, you have just this one military grave um, beside section 19. He's actually near Diamond Janess, so uh, a lot of people can easily find that uh, that monument because it's a double monument. But here's this gentleman called uh, Martin Godin. Uh, or Groden is the proper name. So he was a private. But when you're looking at him, he was a private in the Imperial, the British Imperial Army. So the Dublin Fusiad Imperial Army. And you can see his dates, 1927 is his death date. So you can imagine, right? So when the Irish conscripts, and we always forget uh, the impact that the World Wars had on either mm -hmm. Irish population, mm -hmm. especially per capita. Um, sort of those figures are astonishing but yeah so you have this gentleman who during um, the um, Easter Rising he would have probably been um, in the trenches with a whole bunch of Dubliners 
uh, fighting for the British crown. So back home, um, the country's uh, looking for its own independence, and there he is in a... In a, um, a member of the Dublin Fusiliers. Yeah. And there's a, a great song about the Dublin Fusiliers. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. So uh, we took a pi- I took a picture of, of him in his grave because um, we often um, on social media will highlight different things. Right. And because he's the only um, Irish Imperial soldier, so the only soldier we have here from uh, the British Irish regiments, uh, we, po- we posted him. And I had no idea who he was, but eventually the Dublin Museum um, the Dublin Regimental Museum emails us and is like oh what can you tell us about it so he was essentially lost for almost a hundred years uh, they had no record of him so what we could imagine is if he's in the trenches his country now is uh, an independent republic or on the verge of being an independent republic he doesn't necessarily want to go back and fight his fellow man after he's fought or he may not have been welcome exactly um, so he would have immigrated to Canada. Right. And what's interesting when you're looking at people like him is um, his next of kin is, is listed as a funeral home. So here he is alone for the last part of his life right. um, in Canada, in a dominion, in a place where he he may not know anybody, um, not a Canadian soldier, not a British, um, essentially not a British soldier, but he's just this sort of standalone um Irish soldier who fought for what is now a foreign uh, foreign army. So he's not back on Irish soil, he's on Canadian soil, and there he is by himself. Right. So the regimental museum, I post his um, post his um, his picture of the picture of his headstone um, on social media, and the regimental museum jumps at the opportunity to sort of share as much information and get, gather as much information. So nine years later, he's he's remembered in his home country right. in the Dublin regimental museum. And as a result of that, did any information come to you other than like? The connection with Dublin. So the connection with Dublin, but that he uh, so the, the idea that he served overseas, this country changed. Yeah. He wasn't allowed back. So that that really, really confirmed that period. But did any? It didn't bring any um, relatives. Out no, no. Sadly, um, sadly, no one claimed him other than the regiment. But in military society, it's sort of you claim the regiment claims you your home. Okay. Okay. Which uh, we're really sort of proud of. Um, next section of all, you have people like um, again. We, we often talk about sort of how quickly the um, Ottawa becomes this place this beacon for the Irish where we, um, we become integrated in a community, we build and we, we establish ourselves. Um, even as something as um, statisticians, uh, Sedley Anthony Cutmore, um, he was just a baby when he came to Canada from Ireland and um, he became, uh, he had completed his education, which wouldn't have necessarily been an option back in Ireland at the time in 1908, right? Young Irish uh, child, right? Necessarily wouldn't necessarily have uh, become that, but he ends up joining the Dominion Bureau of Statistics in Ottawa, and then 11 years later he becomes the, statis- the assistant statistician of uh, the Dominion and then becomes the head, which is really, really in- interesting in that sense, right? Um, this sort of sense of like, that quote-unquote American dream, but mm-hmm. in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we have so many stories like that and so many people who, who have yet to be discovered. And we're hoping that with this connection and with Irish Radio that we can maybe um, find out some more interesting stories from different people. And, and um, what would be fascinating if people have stories 
relating to people that are here if we could get to hear some of those oh that would be uh, that would be wonderful we're always looking to sort of connect because I know you, you and I were chatting uh, earlier on to say that as time goes on technologically now the ability is there that you can literally uh, mark a grave uh, to the point that you can then have somebody's biography mm -hmm. lis and listen to it when you're there that provided you have somebody that can give it to you. Well, exactly, and I think that's, it's, it's the idea of the, the cemetery being places for the living, right? We yeah. were, we were um, talking about that earlier as well, right? You don't think that cemeteries are these lively places, but... Um, and to that end, we should mention that where you and I met originally was here when uh, Beachwood was being used in a very lively fashion for an Irish event. There was a movie being shown here. I remember mentioning it to some of my friends, and they said, what do you mean? This? You, could, you must have your venue wrong. I said, no, it's at the Beachwood Cemetery. And I said, but where at Beachwood could you possibly watch and could they be screening a movie? But the facilities here are very much um, multimedia and very much open for a um, multifunctional. Well, exactly. Um we do a lot of different things and a lot of fundraisers with the community. Um, you can't be in business for as long as we have without giving back. Um, we're an oddity again in Ottawa because we're not for profit. So it's a very different mentality. So the, the Irish Film Festival event, it was just an opportunity to sort of showcase the, the history of a man who was unbelievable. Yes. Just unbelievable. And the general that was with him actually... Um, Down the chest tonight. Yeah, he, he actually will be buried here when, when he decides to pass away. That's a decision at this point, I suppose. But um, no, we, we do quite a few events. We do uh, open air movies. We have some theater coming to Beachwood behind uh, our mausoleum again, big grassy space. But we're always looking to sort of celebrate the history of people or, or showcase different things that are connected. So Nick, how much awareness is there out there in the general community of that aspect of Beachwood? Um, the people that know us know us really well. Right. The people that don't, um, they might come for a tour, they might do November 11th, right. they might do um, some of our memorial events, but uh, we're starting to have a, a, a better following, and then we have all the tours that come through, and um, we encourage people to call us and get a private tour, and it can be as simple as this, you and I yeah. in a golf cart and a couple bottles of water driving around, um, showcasing, but... Um, but from the point of view of the facilities, as I said, that this space you have is very suitable. It could be for a debate, it could be for a presentation, movie, yeah. um, a concert space even. Yeah, um, again, uh, the communities that we're part of know, know about this, but okay. um, I guess it's a call out for the Irish community if um, we want to do a fundraiser. Um, we can do it for an organization. Um, there's so many worthwhile organizations, and there's so many talented people within, in and outside our communities that uh, we're always game and uh, be proud partners of that. So the space that the movie was shown in, what is the capacity? Uh, about 300, depending. That's, that's a good space. It's a, it's a wonderful um, ability to do that. And it can also be a little more intimate. We've had theater in there, and right. then um, we've also had um, things like Spies in the Cemetery, where we're talking about the history of Canadian spies um, at, um, and the people at Beachwood that are associated with that. Okay. And again, it's just uh, amazing. Um, and they, you don't find, or I, well, I guess what you're trying to ensure is that the psychological barrier that my, some people might have about coming to a cemetery for a non-morbid um, event yeah. is... is well, uh, well in, in the cemetery industry, we always say it's a place for the living, right? Yes. Um, because the dead don't mind that you're here. No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> okay. 
We'll move on. Where yeah. are we going? Um, how about let's do John McCoon, right? Okay. Um, so next we pulled up in what would appear to be an unoccupied. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. But uh, so um, John McCoon isn't actually buried where we are. He's buried further in the cemetery. Okay. But we have this marsh named after him. So I, a lot of people may not know who John McCoon was, but he was one of the first real great naturalists in Canadian society. Okay. So he he ended up being. Um, um, essentially a person who mapped out, who did geological surveys. Um, he did a lot of exploring and a lot of uh, collection of specimens. So he was able to identify a lot of sort of the animals that we kind of take for granted that we know. And at a really early age, he immigrated to Canada. He becomes, uh, studies plant life, uh, becomes one of the expert botanists in Canadian society, goes up to Georgian Bay. And you can imagine this is um, in, in the 1860s. Going up to Georgian Bay is no feat. So this is real sort of adventurers at the time, and um, he en ends up connecting with Sir Sanford Fleming, who, um, as we know, um, is one of the, the great railway people, but he also created Standard Time, Time Zones, Father of the Canadian Postage Stamp, but um, he had McCoon actually go across uh, the country doing uh, participating surveys, not only for land, but for rail. Right. So we have this, this sort of really young adventurer named John McCoon going through the country, mapping it out, trying to figure out the best way to move rail. And um, that way, then he quickly became uh, um, a person, a great explorer in Canadian society, specimen collector. And um, he also um, helped uh, build uh, in Ottawa... Um, the construction of the Victoria Memorial Museum, which is now uh, the Nature Museum. Right. So, so when you go into the museum, there's a whole plaque about John McCoon, and people just walk by it, don't don't know it. And I see he was born in 1831. Yeah. And uh, the family came in 1850. So again, just before the um, well, after the 1847, they would have lived through the famine, and he was 19, mm -hmm. uh, settling on a farm near um, uh, in um, Upper Canada. So, um, yeah, he would have left right in the throes of the, of the famine they would have experienced. Yeah. But what makes sort of this part of the cemetery is the McCoon Marsh, as we call it. Um, and so it has 1,300 species of animal that have been identified. There's a small classroom. So here is his legacy continuing over and over. And it's sort of off the beaten track, and you don't really think of it being part of Beechwood because you can access it through the church okay. on St. Laurent or through Beechwood, and most people go through the church. There's this classroom, and one of the academies um, around Beechwood, uh, they come in and they do experiments and they map it out. And of course, we have uh, we have animals that he marked from the heron to um, foxes and um, all kinds of frogs, turtles. So how, what kind of area does the marsh take up? Um, I would say probably close to uh, 10 acres. Whoa. So on 160 acres. So we um, actively protect it because it's such a beautiful integral and part. And there is a path through it. There's, there's a whole path. And then beside, to really honor McCoon, um, there are rocks with um, different animals that can be found okay. and different uh, fossils that have been found here. So purely as a nature walk in itself. This is another little hidden gem. Oh, it it, it absolutely is. Um, a National Ge a Canadian Geographic has written about it. Uh, there's documentaries about it. Um, we're really proud to have this sort of little slice of um, perpetual heaven in it. But um, again, right, we wouldn't have most of Canada without this. And here's this gentleman called John McCoon that most people may not know. No. Oh. And uh, me uh, being a Beechwood nerd, of course, in yeah. history. But uh, so far, I don't, I, like, we've talked about four or five, six people yeah. so far. 
and none of them would have been prominent on the Irish landscape from uh, the modern Irish yeah. in, uh, in Adam. Well, uh, so one of my favorite characters, and he, she's actually buried near where John McCune is actually buried, is um, Nurse Catherine um, Catherine Gallagher or uh, Minnie Gallagher, um, Mary uh, Mary Catholic uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher, which is sort of um, it's the name of that character that uh, Molly Shannon played, right? on SNL but she was an actual real person right. um, and so what makes her really really important and I think we we tend to forget about sort of the role that um, some people can have so uh, Minnie, uh, Minnie Gallagher was her her family name um, she was a nurse and she was part she enlisted really early on as uh, part of the Canadian Expedition Force so she actually arrived in Britain September um, 27, 1915. Um, sorry, yeah, 1915. So really early on in the war, this would have been part of the first contingent of Canadians right. uh, people uh, that went over. Her parents were uh, reverends. They came from Ireland uh, right after they were married in 1871. So we have that legacy. We have that history. But what makes her even more interesting is, so she was part of a medical ship called the HM, uh, HMHS Land Dovery Castle, which was a merchant ship that was turned into a, uh, a medical ship. So it's, it essentially served Canadian and British troops. Um, so it made a lot of successful um, trips overseas um, to Britain, back to Canada, to Britain, back to Canada, through Ireland. Um, but what, was, uh, what happened is in June 27, 1918, when she was sailing from Halifax to Liverpool, um, she, um, she um, was uh, under attack by a German U-boat. And she, they were running the Red Cross light, so it was a, a no-go. Mm -hmm. But what the Germans did is they deliberately torpedoed her. Mm -hmm. And so the, as, as the ship sinks, the German U-boat uh, surfaces and machine gunned everybody. So there's nobody that survived. So people had hopped into, they couldn't understand. So... Um, um, so they were all torpedoed, right? Uh, which is which became a war crime. But what made it really, really interesting is um, one single boat escaped out of the 258. And when they got back, this uh, this became a rallying cry for the Canadian troops. So her death, and she's buried at Beechwood because this was her family cemetery. Mm -hmm. um, her death and the death of everyone from the Lando uh, Landovery Castle becomes a rallying cry for us Canadians. And we end up um, having victory after victory. So when we talk about sort of the latter half or, or the last hundred days of the Canadian campaign mm -hmm. of World War Two, of uh, World War One, excuse me, it's really she's the genesis of it. Okay. And she's able to sort of become that moment in time when the Canadians are like, it's time to be fierce. And of course, here's your Irish legacy. So you have you have Irish regiments within Canada, with uh, within uh, the military here. So Nick, you mentioned that you really beat with both in that sense. And where did you and when did you get the love and interest in this aspect of history? And um, so when and where? So um, I'm actually a new a newbie to Beechwood. Right, before Beechwood, <laughs> there's, a, there's a love of history, yeah, yeah. yes, so there's, some, there's, so, a, bug, there's a bug there. Uh, there is, um, so I studied history in university, okay. um, but my father really early on, um, 
he was all about taking us to everywhere we could go that we could soak up history. Like I remember playing um, at Louisville as a child, or um, at on Citadel Hill, or we'd go um, to the different forts um, in um, in old Upper Canada right. Village to um, anywhere that there was an inch of history. My father would take us, but um, he um, he was also able. Uh, he knew a lot of people at the museums because he worked for. Um, he was a union man, so talk about your stereotypical Irish. Um, so he knew a lot of people behind uh, behind the scenes. So we were able, I remember as a kid, everywhere he went, he always knew somebody. But you were getting, obviously then, you weren't just getting an exposure to a visual uh, history. You were getting a passion being instilled from people who were living. Were living it. And, 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 yeah. and that obviously translated into your love of it then. Well, and, and my father would challenge me, um, and we'd read, and we'd talk, and we'd uh, really sort of delve into history. We'd watch movies and talk about what's wrong with it. So did you get competitive then as, as regards who got some little gem of information the other didn't have? Uh, no, because we're both as stubborn as stubborn can be, so there's... <laughs> Okay, where are we going? <laughs> um, where do we want to go? Um, let's talk about maybe early mayors in Ottawa and how okay. um, they would have had um, sort of the, they would have been um, builders of our community. So we've just pulled up at an intersection here. So we were talking about Barracks Hill, right? Yep. So the, the forgotten Irish, right? So um, they uncovered the LRT. We have the ceremony. But what people don't realize is when you're coming in through the Saint Laurent gates, you cross through the Chinese our Chinese cemetery. So it's called the Ottawa Chinese Cemetery. To the right is the National Military Cemetery. Okay. Which of course it's Irish name after Irish name and uh, history there. But on before you reach the starting of the, the headstones, on the on the left you have this sort of um, nondescript. Uh, brown uh, plaque and it, it's quite a large plaque and it's actually Barracks Hill so what I always sort of tell people is you can imagine so these are the forgotten Irish the forgotten Ottawans that we built above for 150 years we walked over them acted like they weren't there right but in the end um, the people that could afford to be moved are scattered across Beechwood now. Okay. But here are a group of the nameless forever beside one of the most important places in Canadian military. So everybody that comes to Beechwood essentially is driving by what is Barracks Hill Cemetery and the people that built our country. Well, built, I would say, yeah, built our country, let's be honest. But uh, built our city. So these people that we forgot. And the... the this area then, when were the bodies moved from Barracks Hill to here? So this would have been uh, 2017. So the city keeps, uh, as the, the OT instruction keeps going, they keep un, um, uncovering more bodies. Okay. And so we have another one planned um, in October this year. And we always do the same traditional um, the same traditional service with a horse-drawn hearse. It's quite a sight to be seen. And it's uh, one of those things that, if you can, we invite the Irish Society because um, it's important that they're connected. And, and we, do you uh, have a date yet in? October? I think it's the 6th. Okay. But um, sadly, uh, the city doesn't want to make it public because they're concerned that we, if everyone's invited that they can't uh, accommodate. But I think it's something that if you have a chance um, to come and see. Normally they display the bodies and they have a public um, public viewing of the caskets um, at the Museum of uh, History over okay. in Gatineau so people get to sort of come and see. But um, they haven't been able to track any ancestral DNA. Right, and then there'll be a cortege over to here. Yeah. So the cortege is projected at the moment for the 6th of October. Yeah. Okay. And then so that's a, mar a date we should mark in the calendar anyways just so if anyone would like to be uh, able to witness it and I'm sure uh, participate in the reinterment um, ceremony. Yeah. Yeah.
they would be welcome along the gravesite. Well, exactly. And um, if you're part of the Irish Society, um, they get notice. And um, I think the ambassador was here last mm -hmm. year um, in 2017 as well. So they were. Um, they try to make it as respectful as possible. Mm -hmm. But um, it's one of those rare occasions where we use the old ropes to lower uh, the casket. So it's, okay. it's very traditional in that sense. Okay. But it just it really moves people to think that. Um, for the history of Ottawa, we've walked over these people, and now everybody who comes to Beechwood on the way in or the way out drives by them and sort of pays tribute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like these are, yeah, so I, it's just something that I, I have to stop and sort of talk about. And do you have any concept of the number of people that were reinterred? So it was 79 in this uh, this grouping. Okay. But when we say people, it's it's loose. That's people, that's, yeah, yeah. And that's why I said any concept. Yeah, so 79. There's some children, some. Um, babies and then some adults as well okay they try to get as accurate as possible the the symbolic burial we did um, was for um, it was a woman so I think next next this year we might symbolically bury a child or a man okay. but um, okay. they the city makes these beautiful traditional caskets just for this and it's the only time the city ever commissioned somebody to build these caskets and okay these wood boxes with uh, numbers so we know who they are and the DNA is all collected when possible right so that right. Um, hopefully somebody will do a swab and We'll find them. Okay. And um, yeah, it's quite moving in that sense. Indeed. Yeah. Um, Maybe appropriate again at that time, and, or at certain times of the year, that the tricolor is flying to. Yeah. Uh, during the. Um, around the 17th of March or certain other times of the year. Yeah, no, that would be. Um, would be nice to have sort of a proper celebration and a proper uh, memorial in that sense, um, community led. But no, we can certainly look at having mm -hmm. tricolor. Mm -hmm. But um, but the, the 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 history here is there's so many people who have that connection and who have a loose connection to these these people. Mm -hmm. If you live in Ottawa and your um, Irish heritage, you're, you're most likely, um, depending on your how, when you immigrated, you're most likely related to these people or have family members who knew them or yeah. Nick, we've come up in front of the RCMP uh, memorial and uh, there's a very strong connection between how the RCMP area is laid out and Ireland. Yeah, well, yeah, so uh, initially, um, so this is a relatively new section, right, Beechwood. Um, the first RCMP monument at Beechwood is actually, um, if I'm not mistaken, from um, 1886, and it was Marmaduke this the troops here in Ottawa. And when you look at sort of the, uh, so we've had burials since day one, right? The RCMP was established in May 1873. We're established in September 1873. Okay. So they're our uh, older sibling, if you will. Right. And they do treat us like that on a regular basis. But we're home to the RCMP National Memorial Cemetery. And what happened is there were some RCMP officers um, who went to Northern Ireland um, as part of uh, security detachments, right? Sort of um, um, the partnership that we do, uh, we have with different countries, part of international policing, and that's something that the RCMP does on a regular basis. But one of the gentlemen there, uh, Roy Blanquet, um, who um, essentially really pushed uh, for this section to be built, um, he was moved by what he saw in Ireland and it was a um, a police cemetery in Belfast 
and he saw it and he saw sort of like the, the names the honor uh, the honor rolls he saw how it was laid out how it was built and that it wasn't built like a regimental cemetery which is a sort of very typical of your military cemetery so he was quite moved and so as you would imagine he came back to uh, to Canada uh, after his uh, his deployment and he, he sort of moved forward this idea of building this section and it's a really prominent section beside the National Military Cemetery it's sort of our security section you've got uh, right here of course you've got the RCMP and you've got the C Cemetery, as well as the Auto Police Cemetery, which is just full of, uh, of names of um, Irish background. But it was really that inspiration of the Belfast Cemetery that, that decided to build this honor roll. And in the center of the cemetery, you've got a large cenotaph with a saluting soldier. Mm -hmm. And it's these, these, these black columns that have the names of every RCB officer who passed away um, on it, as well as columns beside it that sort of um, celebrates the international policing and Lady Justice as well as a torch so that was the inspiration really um, he took this idea and ran with it and there was this great wall sort of telling um, sort of the history as well and that's the final step of this cemetery is to build a great wall on the back that will give you the history but um, every May uh, May 23rd is the anniversary of the RCMP and we do tours mm -hmm. um, and we do tours of the old section and when you go into the old section uh, when it was the Northwest Mounted Police or the Royal Northwest Mounted Police it was uh, again it's that idea of the Irish Adventure and you go through and like every other name is uh, an Irish name and so mm -hmm. the original a lot of the uh, original names um, your Hal Pennies your um, well I'm even looking yeah. at a Briscoe over here in yeah. Lord Mayor Dublin um, back in the 70s Ben Briscoe uh, and I looked over there I saw Hamilton and uh, I noticed a lot of other names along uh, because the Irish always uh, joined the police in the, they were known uh, yeah. in many cases in New York of course was considered they were the police force um, but the Irish did uh, was one of the areas that they were able to obtain employment well exactly and it was one of those that sense of adventure too mm -hmm. and you're coming into the great wilderness of Canada mm -hmm. and like we think of Flood Devon in a story of sneaking in and how many officers how many RCMP officers from the first 300 I I would suspect, um, just off the top of my head, there's probably a good uh, five to ten percent that were Irish-born mm -hmm. really early on, and um, they came for um, the opportunity to sort of move forward. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so it's it's definitely a section when if people come to Beachwood, they always they always stop because what's more Canadian than an officer mm -hmm. in a red serge uniform on a horse? Indeed, and the RCMP musical ride just uh, perform at the Dublin Horse Show. It was one of the highlights for many, many, many years. I'm not sure if they still do, but it was certainly uh, when I was growing up, the RCMP musical ride was a highlight. Hmm. Yeah, they, they did. Um, I don't know if they travel as far as they used to, uh -huh. but um, I suspect it was. It's one of those ways that we imported Canadian culture. Yeah. But um, yeah. But I suppose when you, you do come to Beachwood, you can you take your time and you'll see sort of all the street names that uh, we take for granted um, are all represented by people from O'Connor to Bronson to uh, Herdman to the Slater family, and some of these may um, have lost their Irish heritage along the way, or like we were talking earlier yeah. about Bing. But um, we we forget how dense the population is and how um, how it expanded so quickly. And um, I guess that's why you don't actually have an Irish cemetery in Ottawa. You have you have several. Notre Dame, just beside us, would have a lot of the Catholics, but we have a mix of ev of everyone. And I guess because in, in the Catholic tradition, the church uh, and the cemetery were synonymous, so it was associated with the yeah. church. So depending on which parish you were 
assign, uh, affiliated with mm-hmm. that was you were buried in that graveyard or the cemetery, mm-hmm. cemetery of the that church. Yeah, but our um, yeah, but we we've, we've always been there to provide that uh, service mm. for the full community. Um, interesting, it's quite interesting in that sense. So where where are we going to go? To we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon. Where are we going to go from here? Um, let's go maybe um, to one of the or how about one of the early mayors of pre-amalgamated Ottawa, and we'll go to that. And okay. Oh, we pulled up in front of a monument to Mary Workman. Yeah. Uh, well, it's really um, the husband Alexander Workman. So, um, Lisburn, Ireland, um, 1798. So, when we're talking about um, immigration, he came to Canada in the 1820s. Again, uh, success in an educator, right? But what made him um, sort of uh, really interesting, he was one of the early mayors of Ottawa as well as a city alderman. So at the time, aldermen were um, something new um, in Canadian society. But he served as mayor of Ottawa before, right before we became the capital. Right. Um, and what makes uh, Workman even more interesting is um, when uh, the Prince of Wales came to Canada to lay the cornerstone for the Parliament building, yeah. he's the one that had to entertain because there's nobody of stature okay. except for the mayor of the city. So, um, yeah, he um, he's one of these great people that, again, we forget. And when you're looking around, sort of just, uh, we're in a back section of Beachwood. You've got Stanford Fleming. You've got the Bronson family, the Pearly family. So you've got one of some of the great uh, large Canadian family, uh, large Ottawa families. But when you look around and you see just Celtic crosses sort of dotting the landscape, mm-hmm. and those are the people who would have had that really big sense of Gaelic pride, right? But... Um, as you said, you drive around and you look around, and there's so many names that are of, of Irish heritage or Irish background, and uh, they may have been sort of disconnected through uh, famine, immigration, or uh, through generations of generations. But um, it's still pretty uh, interesting to see how people are interested in learning about that history and connecting with others. So, based on all the places we've gone around today and the names we've come across and the histories that you've shared. Where are the archives? Where where are you getting all this? Uh? Um, so some of it is word of mouth, right? So in the in the tradition of sort of family sharing, but um, on our on our site we do have a historical section where we have historical profiles, and so I picked out a few of the more interesting ones, and I'm glad it's ones that you yourself didn't really recognize mm-hmm. and aren't connected, are, um, didn't have a connection to, because I think that's what uh, we need to do um, a little better, especially uh, the younger generation to celebrate sort of our shared shared history, but. Um, um, we're, as I said, we're always looking for more stories, and we, we get them all the time. Um, and you don't necessarily get, well, this person's from this background, so you get, uh, at a certain point, everyone just becomes Canadian. That's right, yeah. And again, over time, names not necessarily have changed, but names have died out mm-hmm. in some cases, or the immigration was at such a level that um, the name has uh, become associated with somewhere else other than where it came from. Mm-hmm. So that the connection between some of the names you mentioned and we talked about today and the Irish connection would not have been something that I certainly was aware of. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I would definitely encourage anybody who's looking for a nice afternoon to come to Beachwood and uh, maybe ask me to give them a tour and we'll be able to do it. Or um, after this sort of conversation, I figure we'll uh, we'll do a little um, booklet or brochure to say sort of to find the major elements that we've, we've put a little trail together. Yeah, touched upon. Yeah. Yeah, where where someone can kind of come in the gate and here's point one and 
it takes a, a route. Exactly, and I, mm. I think we'll, we'll do that and uh, ensure that people can, can find. But um, I encourage anybody who's um, looking to discover their community to come to Beachwood. And you don't necessarily even have to be Irish to enjoy it. No, <laughs> no, no, no. It's just, it just, it's an added bonus. Well, yeah, we just have better stories. <laughs> And they're, <laughs> and they're all true. Every single one. Every single one. Anybody who don't know who right, we claim is Irish, um, <laughs> that person must have been and a good Irishman now. But, well, Nick, it has been a pleasure to, to spend uh, an afternoon with you in the graveyard. <laughs> Uh, if anybody is, is trying to find you, where, what are the coordinates? The um, uh, website is? Yeah, the website's the best, and then um, definitely follow us on our social media platform because we do new stuff every day and um, try to highlight different people, different things, and the reason why things look the way they do. But um, again, it's uh, beachwoodottawa.ca, um, and then um, info at beachwoodottawa.ca is the best way if you want to learn a bit about your heritage or you suspect that you might have a relative here from Sandy Hill or a relative uh, that was buried at Beecher in the last 150 years. Um, everyone always finds somebody they're related to here. Is there a search facility on the website for you with the, um, uh, the names you listed? Um, not yet, but they're um, in the you're next... Getting, getting yeah, we're getting there where um, you'll be able to find a, a map to location as well. So it's one of these new... Um, new um, parts of our website that we're going to be able and okay. we'll look to add a little more as well but um, and of course with the modern mapping the, the detail that you can achieve in modern mapping the ability to do something like that and bring somebody directly to the spot in the cemetery where they've identified somebody is becoming a lot easier uh, yes because uh, with 160 acres right I could yeah. drop you off here and I don't think you'd make your way back to your car probably <laughs> not <laughs> probably not <laughs> Thank you, McCarthy. As you say, it's been a real pleasure, and I want to say thank you very much. Oh, no, thank you.